life out on these farms doesn't look a lot different uh, the last two months. We've shown up to work every single day and uh, you know farmers like like um, the hospital workers they're real heroes in my book. They they've done the best they can with really a tough situation. We, on a regular basis, um, face droughts, floods, and hailstorms. Haven't had this kind of virus before. And what I've learned in my more than 40 years in the produce business is when a door shuts, a window opens. Hello everyone, welcome to IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, president of IWF Michigan and your host. IWF is a global network of more than 7,000 highly accomplished women leaders from 33 nations. They are policymakers, executives, pioneers, and instigators of change united to advance women's leadership and champion human equity. Each month, we talk with these trailblazing leaders as they share insight from their professions and lessons learned from their life journeys. So let's talk about life in leadership. Our featured topic today is COVID-19 and its impact on the food supply everywhere. And we have two outstanding IWF leaders to enlighten us, both who are currently on the front lines of this unprecedented crisis. Karen Kaplan, president of IWF Southern California, is the co-owner and CEO of Frida's Specialty Produce since 1986 and she grew up in the business because Karen is the daughter of founder Frida Kaplan, who is credited with introducing many produce items in the States, including kiwi fruit, alfalfa sprouts, and many Asian and Latin foods. Welcome from California, Karen. Well, hello, Anne, so great to be here. And IWF Oregon member Carla Chambers, the co-owner and co-founder of Stalbush Island Farms, a sustainable farming business in the beautiful Willamette Valley of Western Oregon that cultivates over 5,000 acres and produces organic non-GMO frozen fruits, vegetables, grains, and legumes. And Carla also grew up in the farming business, uh, growing up in a farming family, and she and her husband founded Stallbush uh, in 1985. And Carla is also an acclaimed artist, and her work is fe that features the beauty of agriculture and produce is featured in galleries and restaurants across the U.S., as well as on her packaging. So welcome, Carla. Thank you, Anne. You know, you both have so much in common, including both serving on Federal Reserve Boards. Um, and, you know, there's so much concern right now about the availability of food because of this crisis. So would you begin by just telling our listeners a little bit about your business? And, uh, you know, food all begins with seed. So let's start with you, Carla. Well, Ann, I'd really like to start by thanking um, 
you for talking to farm producers, farmers and producers. This is really a critical time. And my sincere thoughts really go to the families and uh, friends that have lost loved ones. This is a horrific situation. And so thank you for giving uh, the food producers a voice. We're in the farming season. We're planting food today. Um, but you're right, it starts with seed. It starts with going in the ground. And you know, life out on these farms doesn't look a lot different uh, the last two months. We've shown up to work every single day, and uh, you know, farmers like like um, the hospital workers—they're real heroes in my book. They they've done the best they can with really a tough situation. And Karen, uh, tell us a little bit about um, your business and um, your perspective here. Well, we're based in Southern California, and but most of the products that we distribute come from all over the world, and many come from California, and we distribute them mostly through supermarkets um, throughout North America. So um, I echo what Carla says as far as um, everyone in our business is really on the front lines of making sure that consumers can eat. Um, for us, some of the big challenges that have happened with the virus are around um, airplane availability, if you can believe it. So we bring in dragon fruit from Ecuador and wow. turmeric from Fiji. And because people are not flying, planes are not flying. And literally our turmeric growers in Fiji had to charter a plane to get product here to the United States. So in addition to the, the labor issues of getting people into the fields to harvest the product that comes to us that we sell to supermarkets, it really has been a challenging part of that supply chain to get the produce here to our place in California. And that's one thing we want people to understand, our listeners to understand, is what are the challenges in terms of the availability of food? I mean, we've never seen food lines in the United States the way we have during this period, what's causing the, the pieces of this disruption? I think, Anne, if you look at our, the whole industry and you just shut down half of it, which we just did, we shut down all the restaurants and all the food service, and now we're pushing all of those calories and all that demand through grocery and retail chains, that's taken half of our industry offline. And no one would ever expect we would shut down half of our industry. So we've got record amount of demand and record amount of food lines. At the same time, we've shut down half of our industry. We've put them into a recession. And all that food that really was destined for food service and restaurants isn't packaged or ready to go for that retail uh, grocer consumer. And, you know, we just flip the switch and, and the industry, while remarkably efficient, can't switch that quickly. Addressing the food lines, yeah. I think it was the deep, dark secret of America that there was so much food insecurity. And I think that there were many organizations in place like food banks and distribution organizations like Brighter Bites based in Houston, which help supply fresh, healthy produce to those that have food insecurity. And most of those organizations can't function like they used to because they don't have volunteers available. I will tell you the fresh produce industry based on my experience and farmers in particular are very resilient. I mean, after all, we, on a regular basis, um, face droughts, floods, and hailstorms. 
haven't had this kind of virus before. And what I've learned in my more than 40 years in the produce business is when a door shuts, a window opens. And I will tell you that I have seen in, in my produce business here in California, I have seen companies be extremely innovative. Those food service operators that were shut down because they had no restaurants to supply, they found a way, many of them, to deliver directly to consumers. And just this week, the US Department of Agriculture has announced um, in partnership with the Food Nutrition Service, i.e. the government, that they're going to um, help get food from farmers to families with a program called the Farmers to Families Food Box Program. And that, that's a way to help reduce the food insecurity. So I'm super optimistic. I, it's been really rough the last eight weeks, no question. Yeah. But um, there, is really, there really is no shortage of food. Like Carla said, it's all about the logistics. The USDA is really on the right track with this Farmers to Families uh, food boxes. But what is really critical right now, and it's critical in the next seven to eight weeks, because these crops are coming on every day and being disc under every day, or little chicks are being destroyed, or little baby pigs are being destroyed. It's really essential to get this food processing industry up and going again at full production. So we are really, we're really capturing this food. Karen's absolutely right with these food banks. So in Oregon, you know, they've been, our Oregon Food Bank has been serving um, about 260,000 people, um, you know, a year or per month. And that's a 50% increase on a population base of 4.2 million people. So these food banks are seeing unprecedented demand at a time the food's not really coming their direction. It's not easy. Nobody, nobody saw this coming. So what are the lessons possibly that we can learn that maybe will even strengthen uh, the food supply and, and perhaps even addressing food insecurity? I went back to 2012. We are seeing today a record amount of farm bankruptcies and suicides with U.S. farmers, which just breaks my heart. So if we look at some of these commodities in the last eight years, soybeans are down 48%, wheat down 40%, corn down 60%, blueberries down 73%. Um, at the same time that we've never needed our farmers more, um, they, they're hurting. We've had, we have had bad trade agreements so for instance, you know, I've traveled around the world selling our produce. I can't get into China, but they're getting massive amounts of products into America. We know that aspirin could be made cheaper elsewhere or medicines can, but we've got to be thoughtful about what we really want to, to remain a critical industry here. And we're going to need to think differently about our tax policy and our trade policies Japan is saying, you know, we're done. We're going to be pulling, they're paying companies to come out of China. And I think we just need to come back and look at these critical essential industries and say, okay, why are the farmers in this situation now when we've never had more unprecedented demand? Carla is um, very big picture and I'm going to take a more of a micro approach. The lessons learned coming out of this virus situation, I think in business, I'll talk particularly in the fresh produce distribution business, that 50% of the business that was in restaurants and then 50% in supermarkets where people consume. I have a lot of friends that were 100% food service. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were literally there. Everything was shut off in 24 hours. I would say in general that business people in the food business, whether it's farmers and what you grow or distributors who your customers are, is people are going to look more carefully at not having too much concentration in their business. And I think that's a really good lesson for anyone listening who's in business is that you should not have too many of your eggs in a single basket. The, the second thing is, you know, we're used to really cheap food here in America. And I think that um, that's really not fair. And I think that the value of farming, the value of land, the value of labor, the value of farmers is going to be um, more valued going forward. That if tomatoes are $3 a pound instead of 59 cents a pound, I think there's gonna be a better understanding of why food costs a little bit more. And we're very spoiled in the US in other parts of the world, other listeners, food probably is a bigger part of their disposable income. But I think there's going to be some kind of um, a shift here in the United States. Farmers markets are going to be even more important. I think people really, really appreciate now that there's a person behind the food. Yeah. I also want to ask you about um, safety as we begin to come out of this, because you both have workers working for you. And um, what do you see the changes that will need to be put in place in order to ensure safety uh, of workers and, and your customers? We're in a food distribution center, so we wear masks already. We wear gloves, we wear nets, we use hand sanitizer. Is We're just really emphasizing to our employees how important it is for them not only to take care of themselves when they're home and their families, but here where we spend more than eight hours a day together. So I think the idea of social distancing, um, Carla has is a grower and does some processing. We do a lot of repacking in our facility. We're already thinking of ways that we can create um, some kind of social distancing or protection between our employees where normally they're kind of huddled together when they're doing packing. So it really is making us rethink the whole layout of our facility. And Carla, I know you have workers, I mean, in your fields and in your uh, processing plant. Well, and Anne, that's where I would say, you know, my, my heroes are my family and my workers and my employees. They've, they've been at work every day. We haven't had access to the testing uh, that, that we really need. And I, I would say that is the most critical thing that we can give to processors in the food industry right now. I would tell you, Ann, food processors get food safety. Our company, we were one of the first in the country to test for listeria and salmonella. We deal with these things. I think there's a lot to learn about this particular virus, but we're very good at, as a whole at sanitation. And, but this is, but this is a new environment where the employees really need to know they're safe and the team they're working on is safe. So if I could get one thing tomorrow, I'd like to test every one of my employees and I'm working on that. I'm trying to get that testing equipment in here. I find myself being really sensitive to what's going on at home for our employees and sharing information with them that makes them feel more secure about coming to work sometimes involves sharing information about how they can be safer at home. Right. So I think that's, I think that's really, that's been, we're always been a caring company, 
in a caring environment. But I, I find now as I'm dealing with employees who have families that live far, far away of being even more sensitive than I usually am. You know, um, all of this insight into what's going on here is so compelling and so valuable, but we also want to take just a little bit of time to talk about who you are and your connection, each of you, uh, to IWF. And, and one of the many things you two have in common is that you both are second generation IWF members. Karen, I know you shared that with your mother, Frida Kaplan, who um, I know you just lost your mother. She just passed away. And, uh, and Carla, your mother-in-law, Carolyn Chambers, uh, was one of the founders of the Oregon chapter. So would each of you share just a little bit about what that experience um, with your mom and your mother-in-law has meant to you in terms of IWF? When I gave my mom's eulogy, Back in January, and I was preparing for you know, describing my relationship, I realized that my relationship with my mom was completely enriched by the IWF. Because once a month, my mom and I drove in that awesome LA traffic that we have here, up and down the 405 freeway. And not only would we debrief about the day, but we would talk about the IWF, we would talk about the women we were, we were with. And um, I know for my mom, it was especially important to her when I was asked to become the president of the Southern California Forum. It just gave her a personal thrill that she had brought me into the IWF back in 1993. And then here, you know, 25 years later, I was asked to be the leader. So I probably like Carla, some of my best friends are women that I never would have met unless I was a member of IWF, not just here in Southern California, but I've been to six or seven of the international conferences now, and I literally have my closest friends around the world because of the IWF. And, and I am thrilled to say that you are both personal friends of mine uh, that I have gotten to know through those fabulous global conferences, which is where we began our friendships. And Carla, you with Carolyn. Well, I, you know, I had the perfect mother-in-law. Uh, Carolyn Chambers was uh, a pioneer. She was an entrepreneur, uh, very amazing woman early in her time for owning and starting businesses. Uh, we, we traveled internationally as well as domestically to a lot of IWF conferences. Uh, those, some of those were just on some of the most powerful experiences I've been to listening to some of the women around the world. She helped get the Russian conference going and actually Carolyn sent clothes over there. So, you know, people felt like they would have the appropriate business attire. And it, it was just a magic moment and watching her, you know, with that chapter. I'm going to have our annual meeting for IWF Oregon here at the farm this summer where we can social distance to whatever distance we need to be at. <laughs> You've been here, Anne. Maybe uh, I'll come. <laughs> I told our president, I said, if we need to be six feet apart or 20 feet apart, we'll make that happen. Uh, but we're going to have our annual meeting on the farm. And I can't think of a better year to really celebrate farmers and food processing and really talk about and think about um, what this industry has been through. And Karen, is, is food and, and cooking, and I mean, I know you do a blog. I mean, is that another piece of your life um, that you'd like to share with us or is there something else? 
I love to write and um, I don't have writer's block when I write. And so you mentioned my blog. So about 10 years ago, I started blogging because I thought CEOs should have a voice separate from the corporation. My blog is called what is on, What's on Karen's Plate. And I really write about life and what's going on in the world around me, many times around business. And what I've found is that it's, um, it's totally a release for me. And it gives me that balance, the intensity of running a business. This has been just a fascinating, fantastic conversation with both of you. Uh, is there any last thing you didn't get a chance to say that you absolutely uh, want to get in? I wish I had uh, invested in Zoom before <laughs> the virus because I was talking with one of our IWF members uh, just yesterday, like technology has made this virus um, have many silver linings. And I think that um, although it's been very difficult for all of us around the world to deal with social distancing and businesses being shut down, there are so many silver linings to, to, the, to, um, to the virus. And one of which is that I get to see so many of my friends now on a regular basis without getting on an airplane, without driving a car in traffic. And I just, I actually feel more connected to people now. And I would imagine other people feel the same. I know a good old phone call just isn't enough anymore. I know for me, Anne, a final thought is my family's been farming in Oregon since 1886, over 135 years. And I, I, you know, I just know how tough those early farmers were. And they, they saw things that by today's standards, while this is difficult, this too shall pass. Uh, like Karen, you, you, need, you need to be a little bit tough to get through these times. And especially when you're a leader, you own these food companies, it's like, okay, what's gonna happen today? The world isn't perfect out here and in biological industries, lots can happen that you don't have control of. As Karen said, floods, fires, wildfires, uh, you know, epidemics. There's just a lot we don't have control of. We can do everything right at work, but we don't have control of what our employees do at night. And I, I just think there's a lot of moving parts in these industries. And so my hat goes off to, you know, those who work in food and farming and food processing, and they're my heroes, and, but also the heritage I came from. Awesome. This has been a fantastic conversation. So thank you, IWF California President Karen Kaplan, CEO of Frida's Specialty Produce, and Carla Chambers, co-owner of Stalbush Island Farms and longtime member of IWF Oregon. Thank you both. Thank you, Ann. It makes me so happy, you know, that we get to share our story and I, and I hope, you know, make people feel really good about food. So thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Game Changers, a monthly conversation with trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, president of IWF Michigan and your host. And we hope you'll join us again as we talk about life in leadership. <laughs>